This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before, or are never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we'd stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. And this week, we are joined by no one. Ooh. No one. Ooh. Just it's... the two of us. Is this the first time since our first episode? No. We did the Christmas, the oh, first Christmas special no. yeah, in 2019. Yeah, yeah. 2020? We did 2019. 2019 Christmas special. And we did press cuttings. And press cuttings. It has been just the two of us. I am a bit worried because we have come to rely (laughs) a little bit on guest ideas. Yeah, we get such creative guests on. They're they're all such like strong creative thinkers. Yeah, absolutely. And also I think because we are two of the same people, we sometimes have similar ideas to we've had with other films or other plays and things and so yeah it feels better to sort of let let the guest lead but we're not doing that we're doing we're doing it all on our lonesome <laughs> just us two yeah and gonna, we're doing gonna be good times it's gonna be good it's gonna be good we're doing an episode of inside number nine our second inside number nine episode and that is bernie clifton's dressing room which is from series four uh, from 2018 and it was written by Steve Pemberton and Rishi Smith as all of the Inside Number 9 episodes are this one was directed by Graham Harper and it stars just Steve Pemberton Rishi Smith and Sean Gibson so it's very small a three-hander if you will I mean that is what it is I mean it's it's, it's a two-hander with a sort of cameo yes. I guess yeah yeah no it, no you're right it is Kayla How- do you want to <laughs> should, we, should we try and do a joint synopsis yeah, I think maybe we could. I think maybe, like, just before we start that, maybe last time we, we did an episode on Inside Number 9, we talked a little at the beginning about, like, how would you stage Inside Number 9 as a whole? Maybe it's worth just returning to that question very briefly. And, and maybe with with this this episode in mind, you know, is Inside Number 9 something that requires, when it requires staging, do we want to try and fill it with as many stories as possible or do we pick out two or three that we really love do we do there was something on earlier this year at a welsh theater that i've forgotten the name of where they had 16 short plays that were sort of being performed like a a, a couple of them each night but like it changed over over the period of the season how how would you approach doing an inside number nine you know theatrical production i think i said on on the first episode we did this i said i think i talked about pinter at the pinter yes uh, which is this well it was a series of pinter's shorter plays on at the pinter theater in uh in london and it was sort of three months where there were two on and they'd swap around and then another three months where there were another two on and they sort of did that and they did got through they probably got through maybe 15 or 16 of his plays so that's a possibility and that's what kind of comes to mind as something that's sort of exciting and switching around cast and stuff like that i think the it'd be interesting to do sort of like a couple day sort of thing like you're saying a one every day 
and just kind of rattle through them. But I think what you'd really be doing there is rehearsed readings rather than full-on stagings of these things. Yes, yes. What this episode has made me think about is this idea that, like, obviously, like, a lot of plays are set in one room because it, it yeah. matches the form. But a lot of these TV episodes are also set in one room. and But they're set in one room in, in just a slightly different way in that a play is set in one room in such a way that it faces outwards at the audience. But these... TV episodes are set in one room in a very 360 way. And so I think I'd sort of, I'm basically imagining the set of the cube. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like a sort, of, <laughs> a sort of square in the round space. And it would be nice to sort of, if we were to pick a few that fit particularly well, that sort of like this one, that fit yeah. that, that sort of one room, but very dynamic directionally sort of selection. And that would be one nice thing I think to do is sort of have maybe two or three of those and again thinking about pinter at the pinter they had uh it was i think it was a celebration or it might have been party time it was one of those two the pinter shows and they had a square revolve so wow it was yeah. a sort of like you could see one end of the room but then there was something going on the other end of the room and the whole room span so that's something that you could do or if it was end on or i'm sort of also interested in this idea of having a sort of square round but yeah they're pretty pedestrian what would you do caleb well yeah i know i like i like those ideas and i i definitely think like a pinter at the pinter style thing with this like or, or like this specially curated space and we pick like three or four that that work very well the other th- thought i've had actually thinking about pinter shorter plays uh, and also, like I, I was reading last summer, some of Stoppard's shorter plays. A lot of them, when they were first put on, were put on at um, these like lunchtime sessions that the National used to do. Um, mm. And my impression of them is, and I don't know much about them. I probably should have researched them before I brought this idea to you. <laughs> but my impression of them is like, you know, Stoppard or, or someone w- would have written like a half hour to 45 minute play like a one actor and they would be put on at the national just at like maybe it wasn't like in their main space at the time or i don't know or maybe it was like in like a cafe type space maybe it was in the main space but it was basically like put put on in like a space where there's like already a set and so they're just like it's kind of like a rehearsed reading but like with the extra rehearsal to like get off book and things like that but like very like as small a set as possible so that they could do it on a set that's already there if that makes sense um and basically like you could kind of i think do it where you have like one a week for you know a whole year or whatever or one for like two weeks for a whole year or something and 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 you just change them out every every week or every couple of weeks or something um and do them as like these half hour lunchtime sessions instead that are kind of like you know you could go there in your lunch break from work or whatever or you know if if you if your work is not as simple as nine to five you could you know and and i think work you know people's work times are more flexible now you know you could pop in for a lunchtime session catch a show that that probably doesn't happen anymore because of some kind of thing that's been lost about like people of a certain class i guess would have just been free at lunchtime most of the yeah. time and we're now in a space i guess where most like most people aren't and then the pandemic has sort of changed that so that maybe people are again but i don't think we've got to a place where people are thinking about doing activities at lunchtime they they, they might just be not working as much so that'll be interesting to see if that's the kind of trajectory we carry on with whether things sort of daytime things start popping up more 
I think we're still quite entrenched in the sort of like between the hours of nine to five, everyone must be at work and nobody must be interacting with anyone at those other workplaces because they're at work. Yeah. Sort of, uh, well, it's sort of, I, I think I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but like it's, I, I guess it, it just relies on this idea of like the women being at home, I guess. It's all very, you know, yeah. based, but yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, that's a massive tangent. Well, uh, well, yeah, yeah, no, but I think it's definitely fair, and I think it's definitely something to think about. It's like if if you were to do it as a lunch obsession, who would you sell it to? Mm. And I guess it, like you know, there are immediate audiences that spring to mind: people that are retired, uh, students. Mm. You know, like these mm. are these are people that you could potentially get in for a lunch obsession, as it stands now. But I guess it is maybe yeah. Is is there a market opening up for daytime activity for people that are now working more flexible hours than they were before, or as you rightly pointed out is that just not a market that's opening up and people are working flexible hours for other reasons uh not so they can go and <laughs> see a play at lunchtime <laughs> uh, who knows i think it was just something we'll have to see um, what, what i did really latch onto it though is this idea like uh, it's something that happens in the west end quite a lot actually so uh, if a show's on like tuesday through sunday then does their eight performances on there they might be like a concert on a monday night uh, but yeah. it will be on top of the set that is in there for the rest of the week. Uh, yeah. That's quite regular. And that and... actually goes back to what Bernard Shaw used to do. Um, mm. He he used to put on sort of unfinished plays or like first rehearsed readings or whatever on a Sunday and Monday night uh, because there wasn't going to be a show on. And it meant you got audiences in for an extra night. They pay like, you know, a quarter of what they'd usually pay. And it means that the actors and and the writers and stuff get all the pressure taken off of them and they did that for his plays and all the plays of sort of the contemporaries that were writing in that space at the time and it's definitely something that like yeah it's like how do how do we make the most of these theatrical spaces outside of like what we have deemed like the appropriate times for theater to take place yeah i think that's absolutely right the the amount of dead time you know especially you know you know west end theater costs forty thousand pound a week to run you know in in that ballpark and so yeah definitely finding ways to let them have functions and community functions as well obviously like west end's all in one place but like in terms of more more nationally uh and that is starting to happen a lot um you know with the use of cafes like uh the watford palace has a knitting society that's in there most days you know thing you know things like yeah that. yeah uh, and so that is starting to happen but yeah sort of the theater as a community space i think as well like actually um this is where family theater is kind of latching onto this as well like we were working at the watford palace for a week recently and the uh hungry caterpillar was on it was on like for like a 130 show or something mm. because that's just when you know when you know parents are going to take their very young children to the theater if they're going to do it it's going to be right in the middle of the day yeah it was half term but 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 that's true yeah young young kids don't want to go out at 9 p.m because that's a (laughs) terrible idea um i have i really have i really distinct memories of going to the pantomime at like you know 4 30 and yeah it always felt like a really late night because it was dark when you came out but it was like 6 15 yeah yeah, absolutely but i think that's really interesting i think I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's something here in uh, in using like these shorter form stories to to kind of like rethink how we can insert them into a theatrical space. Anyway, well, I think especially when we're talking for when we're t- we've been talking a lot, the two of us about uh, you know how long does a play have to be, and you know, do people's yeah. attention spans last two and a half hours anymore? You know, this idea of going, you know, spending the whole evening committing a whole evening to watching the theater. Maybe there is space for these sort of shorter one actors you know more like i guess tv 
theater i guess if you like yeah <laughs> uh maybe maybe there is maybe there isn't because i guess but then how do you convince people to spend the time traveling and all you know all this other all yes. of these questions i think for inside number nine the big question is this set of this episode we're about to talk about 13 minutes in is uh <laughs> maybe really suits this but some of the other ones you know they're really intricate and they require very expensive props and set because otherwise it what is it uh yes yeah no you're, you're absolutely right because 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 these uh episodes are set in one place the space is very important to them very often and in this i would say the space is very important but it's also very malleable yes let's let's get into it are we are we going to try and sort of vaguely stumble through the story together? Let's do it. Let's. You, we had Rada and Alex not too long ago with their scripted couples <laughs> synopsis, uh, which was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yes, uh, it was. Let's, it was. Let's try that, but without the script part or the brilliant part or the synopsis <laughs> part or any of it. <laughs> okay, so basically, I mean, the premise, right, is it's too. Uh, members of a comedy duo uh you know in the style of many of the great comedy duos but specifically within the like variety hall sort of style comedy duo they they have come back together again and to do one last show and they're played by steve pemberton and reese Smith. and their their name you know comedy duo name was cheese and crackers that's the premise right that is the premise (laughs) That's the premise. So uh, Drake, who is, I think he was crackers rather than cheese. Yes, because he's the he's the straight man. He's the tonic. Exactly, he's the straight man. Uh, He don't give it that much credit. No, do Uh, (laughs) (laughs) he? He is in a room looking through some of their old props and stuff. Uh, He's in sort of like I'd say it's sort of a community hall sort of space. And uh, Steve Hampton's character uh, Shelby, uh, who is cheese. Is it Shelby? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, it's Shelby, yeah. Uh, he comes in and he says, sorry, I'm late, and puts the bags down. And they they just sort of start having a little bit of a discussion. It's clear they have not seen each other for 30 years, um, yeah. which is an incredibly long time, but that they used to be this sketch group. And they essentially have a long argument about them about i'd say it's about their comedy i'd say it's about how comedy has moved on it's about whether it's about why they stopped and it's about whether they should have stopped and it's that it that is interspersed with them practicing their sketches yeah and that goes on for most of the episode um they then do we get to the spoiler or should i or do you want to have more to say no 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 because we'll get into like how that plays out beat by beat later on i think Mm. but yeah let's here's the big spoiler so go and watch the episode bbc iplayer it's a a gorgeous bit of television jake he's dead what which one (laughs) actually because you should clarify (laughs) no no i'm not gonna know yet so uh steve pemberton's character shelby or cheese is dead and in fact he's actually at his funeral uh and the uh, steve hamilton's character's daughter comes in and she you know gives him a hug and he's about to give a speech basically um but yeah. it's all about him resolving research character resolving this sort of inner argument that he's kind of wanted to have with this man for 30 years and he and yeah. he's never got the chance to have it so now he's sort of having it with himself and resolving it himself and that's what we've actually been witnessing the entire time. And then they sing a nice little number called Tears of Laughter about 
which is like a number that they used to do, which is about how it's, it's you know, if you're going to cry, it should be tears of laughter, which is, uh, oh man, oh, oh, I'm getting chills just thinking about how good this, the ending of this episode is. It, in a way, this is really simple. Like yeah. you just put it on stage and then just face it in one direction and you've got, you've got, basically got it already, right? Yeah. It's so well plotted, so well timed. The sketches are built for stage. Like that's the conceit. Yeah. And so if you if you put it on like just a proscenium arch stage, they would work immediately. But you there are things I think you would lose through that. And also that would make this a, a very short episode. <laughs> it would indeed. What what I was thinking about on this second watch, the pin, who I've mentioned before, a uh, comedy duo working now, recently did a West End show and it was about a com- an up and coming comedy duo who were warm ups. Yeah, that's it. They were warm ups for uh, these two older men who were doing their sort of comeback tour, who were actually doing a comeback tour in a comedy hall. And it's essentially this argument split into a sort of younger pair and an older pair mixed with lots of physical comedy and lots of sketches that they show us in between. It really is this plot. And it's actually really interesting. Uh, I've sort of seen this staged. Um, and yeah. I don't know whether the pin would would say that they took inspiration from this episode for it, but it's yeah, it's these two older aging comedians. Oh, and sorry, what I didn't mention is that the pin play both of these yes. double acts. Um, that's the important bit, I guess. So there is a sort of possibility of doing that sort of thing here, maybe where they're talking, but when the performances happen, maybe the younger selves appear somewhere in the background, and then some kind of nice image at the end with this song where they're all singing it as a four or whatever i don't know i don't know there's there's things like that yeah. we could do i don't know whether that's the most interesting thing to do with it I, I as you say like it's it is already a play in so many ways i think what's what's really interesting as well though is actually like that you have quickly latched on to the what this has to say about the broader world beyond just the personal mm. story that's at the center of it right like it's just that it is at its core just like a touching story with personal stakes only but there is so much that it says about like community as a, as a whole and maybe that's what can separate it from the pin in a way is is emphasizing this personal story in it because i think i i mean i love as well like the personal story itself is obviously tied to these wider sort of comedic issues of like you know things having not aged well and you know the sort of variety hall sort of comedy geo being left behind in the past but also like there there are just like you know the, the story is about a straight man that's gone straight right like he's <laughs> he's got an office job in paris yeah where he he's, pays someone to remove youtube clips of him in the double act so that he can have meetings with hsbc yes that's, yeah yeah it's and it's just brilliant to like to see that like that because and what works about it actually is when they're falling in and out of the sketches is you never quite know whether reese shearsmith's character is playing along in the sketch or he's actually getting angry at something (laughs) yeah and it's oh it's it's so clever it's so brilliant so i think actually like leaning into that personal element of it would make it feel more its own than than what you're describing i think as well maybe that that brings me onto what what potentially are the sort of issues of staging it for me right now which is uh the that in the way that anything that's filmed is there is a real intimacy to what is happening here and if we're describing you know we were talking about doing these sort of lunchtime shows where you put it on in a space as big as like a western theater 
the national whatever will a lot of this be lost in spaces like that does this require a more intimate space a studio space or or something like that i'm totally on yeah my my image in my head for this one is that sort of four-sided in the round two rows deep studio yeah so that it's i think it needs the intimacy for sure i think on a big stage far away what this becomes is a very simple scene yeah you know it's just it it has i think it would be one scene in a play if it was on that scale because it's it's one conversation that has many meanders and points but it it never gets large enough or busy enough to warrant that space yeah i don't think i'd want to see it that far no, I, away. I, yeah. I agree. And I think this that's I mean that sort of to me points out what's so perfectly plotted about it, right? Is that like even the sketches they show us are are very small. And 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 they sort of happen in such a way where like it just it when it feels like the scene is just coming to life, it then gets hampered by another part of the argument. Mm. And that yeah, that just doesn't work when you're in a space that that encourages spectacle or encourages something epic uh because it's not that it is it is small the other possibility is i guess a sort of cabaret space right yeah with tables out and and that kind of thing and i i think it just it's rare in that it's a piece of comedy that just absolutely cannot acknowledge the audience is there yeah i don't think because once you do you lose this sort of because what it is is this sort of magic of he is talking to no one this character he's just talking yes. to himself having the argument in his head and it's so within himself and so in his head but you go you can't tell because there's no one else in the room he can just have this big sort of shout and it because it's this big quite large like hall space but the camera can be really intimate he can yeah. have this sort of you know very oh when he when he sort of breaks down and says i quit because like, another spoiler here because you were drunk all the time and you were gonna kill yourself yeah like they're sort of that's a, a sort of uh, it, it's a static shot i think just of steve penberton at a sort of just a slightly off center angle but really you're just seeing him start to cry yeah and what's lovely about i don't i can't remember i think it possibly doesn't cut back to steve penberton there because we don't want to see his reaction because he's not there right yeah it's reese smith who is just having this moment himself when we're translating that to theatre, I want to be able, yeah, I want to be able to be that intimate with the actor. I think, yeah, I'm just we're agreeing, but there we are. <laughs> no, 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 but I, I, I know, I think, I, I think that's all really, really valid point, and and I think it's it's this, it is this challenge of how do you translate intimacy whilst also like, but whilst also creating something that is like theatrical, and and it's difficult as well, right? Because you. I completely agree as in like it's it's this comedy that can't acknowledge the audience is there but at the same time like there's a whole joke in it about how Steve Pemberton's character keeps acknowledging that the audience is there yeah. and that and that's part of like his comedy is like like you know gurning at the audience and like getting them to laugh at him and I just think I it's really how do you tread that fine line when Steve Pemberton looks out in that in those moments to like get the laughs out of the audience he will actually be looking out on an audience <laughs> which okay. he isn't right now idea maybe we yes. maybe it's a sort of transplanted set right so we're not this isn't happening in whatever this community hall is yes. maybe this guy and i don't think this is without the with outside of the range of the character he's asked for his funeral to be in 
like i don't know the first music hall they played right yeah and so yeah. we find like there are very few music halls nowadays. No, but I, I, I take, but... take take say like an Edwardian uh, regional theatre somewhere like Watford Palace. I'm thinking of uh, the King's Theatre in Portsmouth. These sort of like proscenium arch, like traditional. They, they, those are kind of variety hall style places, I would say for sure. And you all, all the sort of Victorian, very steep rake idea yes. those for sure. But I, I still want something slightly smaller than that. I think so. I was thinking of like a comedy club like that yes kind of like that's a great idea um yeah like i don't know we don't have to we don't have to be in, in a theater per se so like like a comedy club sort of size like 400 200 seats sort of size very small stage but actually we sort of arrange the seats so that actually we they can use more than just the stage as the stage because yes. the space that the audience is in is the space that the characters are in Yes. Because he's just in this sort of empty hall or room or comedy club waiting for the audience to come in and he's just looking through the stuff because that's like, this is what this guy's asked for for his funeral. And again, this all just has to get explained at the end. And it makes a lot of sense through the first part before we get the reveal, which is the first 25 minutes of this half an hour thing, because it seems like they're preparing to, they're rehearsing. They're rehearsing for, yes, to perform yeah. right there and then. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that might be a way of getting this, like a slightly bigger scale, but also maintaining that intimacy just because what that does is that even if you have quite a lot of seats, so say you're sitting, you know, 10 meters away at the back, you still feel intimate because you are in the room they're in. Yeah, yeah. You're in, and, you're, and you're in a comedy club. These are intimate spaces. Yeah. You, you see like like Ray Romano, he, his uh, most recent comedy special uh, was filmed in like some of the underground comedy clubs in New York that he used to go mm. to. And, you know, some of the shots you see, like they're way, way back. Way, like, you know, you feel like you, you're probably as far away as you would be like towards the back of like stools in a, in a regular theater. Mm. But it feels so much more intimate because you're in that space. There's a bar, there's tables. People are sat around chatting, enjoying the comedy. You f- Like you say, Jake, you feel like you're in that space with them. I think that that would be, that's really exciting as an idea i think it makes a lot of sense because it's clear like shelby has you know it's it's clear that he's asked for like a bunch of his old comedy mates to come and speak at his funeral like that's kind of like information we get at the end i think as well it could work because you could always you could always chuck in a little bit about how he like shelby tried to have like a an alternative comedy career doing stand-up afterwards or something and it went wrong i don't know you could chuck alternative comedy oh my uh, god no as in i mean as in i mean as in like the the alternative comedy movement of like the late 70s oh i don't know what this is i just i assumed you were referring to racism uh what oh you mean? <laughs> no, no i mean i'm i'm talking about like people like alexi sale let's think like this is like where french and saunders came from as well and, okay and, and people like that and the, the, i mean the comedy club in london started through this movement right anyway right it's by the by it, it, it doesn't it really is like doesn't matter no, um, but interesting but uh, but i basically i'm just saying that he could have he could have attempted to have a stand-up career because actually amongst those sorts of people someone with the kind of sensibilities of shelby would have been completely destroyed immediately because like alternative comedy came up basically basically to replace this t- type of comedy that's being talked about in this episode ah. it was like a bunch of people who were like we don't like it when the guys just you know these guys just show up and and make racist and sexist jokes for you know their 15 minute set so we're going to tell jokes about how maggie thatcher's government's crap and stuff like this mm. anyway i don't know enough about comedy history to, <laughs> to sort of weigh in there but i just think i just think that there is it's very easy to put in contextual information that would mean that like he would choose 
rather than choose a village hall he would choose a comedy club yeah that sounds great okay so we have our space um and our space is filled with all these props and stuff that they'll use for their sketches and then yeah they get in there and they start talking about i guess what is good comedy (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is a big question it is big i think this i think this episode handles it very well i think it's very interesting i think like so very early on the first sketch they do is like a job interview sketch and they're sat down and uh basically like as the interviewer is talking to the interviewee who's played which is steve pemberton's character he's going through like a series of accents with different funny hats right and it starts like scottish irish but very quickly like a, a you know overtly racist stereotypical like japanese accent and then again with an indian accent and then it's like sort of finishes off with like i don't know german or something i can't remember or london or something anyway but like and and uh and and you're you're kind of watching it and you're like oh this feels like a misstep and then reese smith immediately is like we can't perform that sketch anymore because that that doesn't play anymore that's that's racist and and then that kind of is the starting point of that conversation of like, you know, because Shelby immediately defends that sketch by saying, oh, well, you know, it's the, the joke isn't at the expense of like the Japanese people, uh, Indian people, whatever. Like, it's, it's just like, no, 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 that's not what the joke is at the expense of. But it's also like clearly problematic because like, well, again, then, you know, Drake says, well, who, what is the joke? What is it pointing at then? And there's no answer to that. You know, it's like, oh, they're just funny voices. Yeah, but but what does that mean, you know? And I think that that's what's interesting is I, I guess this this episode starts from that point and then it continues to, to probe at that question of like, well, what do these jokes mean then? If they're just silly voices, if it's just silliness and it's not meant to offend anyone, what is the meaning behind it? Because if it's anything other than like something pointing at like punching up in the comedy, then there's probably an issue here. Yeah, and I I think on a more broad level, it it sort of investigates this idea of like how comedy ages and moves forward and has to move forward. Um, And like, as as you said, like I don't know anything about the history of comedy really. But what I do know is that I will go and watch something from five years ago or 10 years ago on YouTube and and I will remember finding it funny and I won't find it funny anymore. Yeah. And that won't be because I've heard it before. It'll be because, because something's changed in, yeah. in what what is what is funny to maybe it's because i'm growing up maybe but maybe it's also something more extrinsic than that i'm thinking of like who are the people that write south park and the book of mormon matt i know oh yeah i know who you mean i can't remember their names and i i always think whenever i see anything that they've made it always feels like they are and each individual episode of south park because they're made so quickly they're made in six day turnarounds or something is like all, all each episode is a good example of this is that i always feel like they are scraping the very bottom of the barrel of comedy fully in the knowledge that it will move up tomorrow yes the, the barrel yes. the barrel is re- the, the barrel's in a lift and it's raising <laughs> and, yeah. and, yeah. and they are they're always aiming at exactly the bottom of where, where they can get to which means that, that i always think of them because their stuff ages so quickly so you know if you go and watch a south park episode you know if, if you go look on netflix on south park they don't have all their episodes there they have particular highlights that they the, someone somewhere has decided is still funny but the yes. rest won't be because they'll be either they'll be so topical that we won't remember what it was about or they'll they'll just they're just the barrel moves up and the same with team america and the book of mormon and avenue q they all at the time are really funny because they're just on the edge and then you go back to them and well for me anyway 
they've time has moved on so much you know yes, um yeah. every, everyone's a little bit racist sometimes from avenue q was sort of groundbreaking progressive comedy at the time yeah. and it's now awful like awful to watch and i think i think what's neat though in this is is that the point you're making there which i i i really i think i really like is is that like these guys are, are, are specifically like on the edge of what's okay not okay with yeah with the kind of the feeling that like next week when it's not okay they can just forget about it like yeah we made that then and now this is where we're at and that's kind of like what Reece Shearsmith is kind of getting at here is like he never says what they did was wrong he just says we can't do that now in a way that like I think it's kind of like this idea that we can look back at comedy from times gone by and we can say that's wrong but the people making it at the time well there are obviously exceptions to this but the people making it at the time it, you know it, it was a difference in cultural understanding and and so it's kind of like this this acknowledgement of like that was okay then it is not okay now how do we move on how do we progress as comedy progresses and comedy should progress and it should keep challenging us to be funny without offending people and without you know yeah. without it'd be interesting because i reckon there's probably plenty of people who are who would disagree with you and they'd say no that was always wrong just nobody ever listened to anyone who it was yes. wronging until recently look no and, and and here's the thing i like i do actually agree with that i do th- i do think it was always wrong but i also think if you're a comedy duo who were famous in the 80s and, and you're coming back now to do some stuff you know like <laughs> i think there there should there, there must be this understanding that comedy was just at a different place 40 years ago and whether that was an okay place and whether that was right or that was completely wrong is kind of out of like the question of like what was being made at the time i think mm. because we can say it's wrong and we can and we can say like you know we shouldn't in- watch it and enjoy it because it, it's not funny now but i think also like there's an acknowledgement that that was just the culture that things were being made in then and that's mm. also okay to to acknowledge it's right difficult. yeah it's not it's not a problem with comedy <laughs> it's a problem with everything and and so yes it, it's just so it's so it's so clear in comedy because comedy yes. reflects what people are thinking about i guess yeah yeah what well, yeah I, I, and look this is such a difficult issue and something that like neither of us have ever spoken publicly about like absolutely you know the stuff we make is is comedy but like it, it, we're also like we're people who sort of really you know we make a real effort to understand what what our jokes are where they're coming from and what they're trying to do um and and i think there was a time when people didn't do that in the same way but so we've never spoken about this very much and i think i i don't know my my thoughts probably aren't fully formulated but i think there is Mm -hmm. something about like i think well i mean the other week when we did drop dead gorgeous with um max we talked about then like this you know there were some jokes in that which probably were never funny to us. We would never have found them funny, but it was considered within the realms of comedy yeah. 20 years ago when that film was made. That doesn't yeah. mean it was funny then. It doesn't mean it's funny now, mm. but I think it, it was considered something that could be comedic at the time. Absolutely. And and what, what this explores is this idea of deciding that, no, no, this is my style 1971 comedy and I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it's not, that doesn't work. You can't do yes, that. And, what, yeah. and that's what this is investigating. This, like, this fight that is happening in his head is between like, oh, I loved doing this. I loved performing this. That doesn't mean that this is what I would now perform. Um, yeah. And this idea of the cheap laugh as well. I can't remember. What's the thing right at the end that he says is a cheap laugh? Do you remember? Spit, spit take. That's it, the spit take. 
So he's pretending to be a puppet and he just gargles some water and spits it out on the audience. Like that, that there's no way that plays now. And that's not to do with yeah. like, offend, offending people. That's just because it's just something that's fundamentally changed about like, I mean, slapstick has, you know, receded, you know? Well, so, and, uh, in a way it's become more extreme as well. Like slapstick yeah. works if someone like, goes tumbling down a hill for like six minutes like they do in like hot rod but that's funny but for but like for reasons that are kind of different to like the slapstick you would have seen on the stages in the 1960s and 70s yeah you've just reminded me of the paul rudd snl joke do you know the one i'm referring to uh i'm not sure i do is it snl no it's not snl it's the paul rudd like interview oh when he goes on conan and yeah that's it he always plays plays this clip of like an alien falling down a hill or whatever yeah yeah. (laughs) anyway uh, (laughs) no but look i but i i think uh, what's really interesting about this episode is it, it it associates outdated comedy in terms of form and joke alongside problematic material Mm. and it says like these things are outdated because comedy has moved on not just in what we what our content is but also in the way we present it like the 10 brown bottles like uh routine which is kind of the last major routine i think they do in in this episode yeah and and it's kind of like that you know it's like this wall and there's like all sorts of like physical gags about like this wall that's too big for reese shearsmith to hold so they both hold it together but it looks like just reese shearsmith is holding it it's very funny you kind of got to see it to make sense of it because it's purely physical gag and i don't really know how to no, like, no keep describing it yeah, yeah. Time. go on anyway but it and it but it uses Wait, can as you explain the joke can you yeah. why is that <laughs> <laughs> it uses as its basis the 10 uh, brown bottles or 10 green bottles is how i remember anyway uh song right of like you know 10 bottles on a wall and 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 if one should accidentally fall so on counter uh, but like that just doesn't work anymore because that's not funny <laughs> it's just mm. not and and like watching it we i think watching this episode you can appreciate why that was funny then and but also say that's not funny now in the same way you can well it's it is different to the problematic content in a way because you can kind of go that should never have been funny but Mm. i think with that you can appreciate like there are some clever physical visual gags that are within that but it doesn't really you couldn't put that on stage now no one would laugh and i think there is it, it yeah the conversation develops into something that is beyond just like I guess the like cancel culture conversation we have now where it says like comedy has moved on in form and therefore it should also have moved moved on in content. You wouldn't tell a joke the way you told it 40 years ago, just as you wouldn't tell the same joke you told 40 years ago. On the same path of like having discussions about, uh, you know, what, what it was this and what is this now, there's this separate argument that's much more personal about why the comedy group came to an end. And part of it is definitely because of a refusal for the comedy to move on. But then there's also this other thing of this battle between giving up and selling out, I'm doing air quotes, and, you know, going off and becoming a businessman and and then, like, trying to continue to be funny and, you know, and what is artistic integrity and all the, all these kind of questions mixed in with when we get towards the end this question of like alcoholism and like you know what what fame can do to someone even the small amount of fame that is presented in this episode yeah there's so much going on yeah and and well and the titular bernie clifton's dressing room oh of course well yeah it is it is like this this story of back in the day where they had like this big gig in is it like glasgow yeah, yeah yeah the glasgow pavilion and drake gets left on stage by shelby he goes off 
and he finds Shelby passed out in Bernie Clifton's dressing room and uh, Bernie Clifton charges him 25 quid for having wrecked the dressing room and there's this kind of like thing of like early on in the episode it's like you owe me 25 pounds and we only find out right at the end what that's for I think that kind of sums it up right the person the personal stakes here is is this thing of like actually the thing that fame offered them uh, was also tearing them apart and 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 the reason Drake was unhappy was because Shelby was also unhappy, but he just didn't realize it at the time. And he was drinking to, to sort of, uh, you know, self-medicate that, I suppose, in a way. And I think, yeah, it, I don't know. I guess that does have something to say about this broader question of comedy and of, you know, seeking fame, seeking, you know, a, a life as a creative, as someone who makes people laugh. I think it has something to offer all of that. And I think it really beautifully sort of ties itself into like a real history of of comedy in that way as well because you know the story is one we recognize of many comedians that people loved from that time and the insertion of bernie clifton as well of course um, yeah, anyway, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't for the dressing room, the 25 quid it was because he threw up on the ostrich puppet that bernie clifton oh yeah of course would go yeah. around with yeah uh, and so he had to yeah yeah because there's the really funny line where he's like he's like he had to have the ostrich destroyed he's like, <laughs> he like really seriously uh yeah oh well because that because that kind of brings me back again to that kind of intimacy thing right it's like at the end drake is handed this uh envelope from shelby that was you know when when it's opened it was clearly written years ago right and it's just a little note saying like sorry about bernie clifton's dressing room and and then 25 pound enclosed and again that's something that like does that work on stage have you set it up enough where we just need to see the the pound notes and we don't need to see what's written on the note to understand it i think so Oh, I, th- I think so too. Yeah. 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 Well, let- should we talk about the ending? Because I think that's the bit that's sort of staging wise. Oh, that's the tough difficult. bit. That's the yeah. tough bit. So <laughs> first of all, we have this third character who's only in it for five minutes. And that's always tricky when you're on stage. It's something that I maybe would want to investigate as a as as possibly someone who could do this is the uh, stage manager actor role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Possibly, or there's actually a lot of music involved here. And I had yeah. been thinking about the possibility of like a, you know, like a, if we did it in like a cabaret space, like a cabaret band, you know, yeah. maybe yeah. play before and afterwards. And then maybe one of them plays the sister. That could uh, work really not well. Not the sister, the, the daughter. So that was a problem and a solution straight away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when she comes in, we have this issue of Steve Heberton disappears. Uh, <laughs> um, because Which, he's not really again there. like the fact that we put it in a comedy club like you know there's trap doors and things you can do in bigger spaces but in a comedy club there is nowhere to hide <laughs> you there really there. is like, there famously nowhere to hide um yeah i i my first thought is that he doesn't leave and he just sort of sits down and watches and then they have a very obvious conversation in which they talk about him being dead and then when she leaves again he talks again and it's a sort of like he doesn't really go that's uh, even even not sitting down and watching he's still there in the moment mm. but suddenly like drake is just pulled entirely out of that and they're talking you know the daughter can be talking straight through him right and and it just like i think that that could work that could work it might not be quite as Effective. devastating yeah <laughs> i think what well yeah i like that idea of maybe she comes in and she talks and it looks like she's talking to him but he doesn't turn around yeah and then it sort of takes us a while to realize that then there's the bit at the end where he fades away after the song because the yeah, song I mean, is all about saying goodbye. You just cannot do that. <laughs> you just can't uh, do that. I don't know. We can work on teleportation. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, I think he'd have to... What am I thinking of? There are various other things in which, like, a ghost... Oh, Spring Awakening is what I'm thinking yes. of. Where at the end of Spring Awakening, uh, which is a musical in which two young children die... <laughs> It's that's what happens. Uh, at the end of the, stuff. At the end of the musical, uh, the oh, what is his name? I don't remember his name. The main character is at the graves of these two people, and the final song is a what's it called when there's three people in a song? A th- uh, threeette of thruple. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a three-person number um yeah which is very rare and sounds absolutely wonderful but at the end they essentially fade away because he the two two of them are dead and they sort of fade away and i have not seen many versions of this but i wonder whether we could do whatever they do um (laughs) um, (laughs) which i imagine is some kind of version of walking off and looking sad yeah bit of sort of you know smoke machine at their feet kind of thing <laughs> oh yeah that's a bit cheesy isn't it it's that whole i mean he does this whole thing where he's in, in the script where he he the guy that's alive is like please don't go like there's like uh lines in there that are like no come back don't go yeah. like and it's very obvious you know what's happening so maybe there's something in that what what if, okay what what if uh you've had him stay on for this moment where his daughter's there and stuff and they're just talking straight through him and stuff then they do the dance routine and then maybe there's like i don't know like organ strikes up for the funeral or something like that which is actually what what kind of happens in in the oh, like musically the credits yeah yeah and you could do either you could do where like shelby it kind of says to drake like you better get in there or something and then drake walks off to go in or alternatively shelby walks off as if to go and join the service and drake is left there like to kind of consider and reflect for a moment. Yeah, I like both of those. I've just had an idea. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Gauze. Oh. In, so, a, in a comedy in, club. In a comedy club. Okay, so we'd have to find a way. But I, I wonder if there's... Okay, so I'm thinking possibly even just one strip. One very thin strip of gauze. But if yes. there's a way of hanging just sort of one rail from the ceiling. Just if you've just replaced the back curtain. Something like that. I don't know. Oh no, maybe not quite the back curtain. You, It would limit where you're doing it. But if we could find a way of hanging some gauze across the back, which just looks like we can just make it look like it's the back curtain. Yes. Or like it's not there. And we have some backlight so that it's sort of never really visible at any point. And it is yeah. very intimate. But at the end, obviously, in the in the TV show, uh, we switch from the very naturalistic lighting that we have the whole time, you know, it's sunny day, to essentially a theatre, right? Is the yes. idea. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. a lot of comedy clubs now have actually quite sophisticated you know leds and things like that and so we sort of if we sort of kind of almost because i kind of want to do the whole play with up to this point with the house lights on because that's you know that's where we are we're in in a space we're in that space with the house lights on i think turning them off would be sort of disingenuous to what we're trying to do no i agree yeah 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 and so they kind of snap off and we snap into this sort of like actual show state and they do this thing and maybe and we won't we the gauze just looks like it's a bit of random kit that's going on um but we have maybe there's a spotlight um that's very expensive to run but you know there's some kind of like bright front light that means that they can sort of be dancing um but they get to a point where they're dancing that's choreographed where by the end steve hamilton's character is is behind the gauze and so when this light shines so brightly from the front and we kill any light that's from the back he does actually disappear yes okay look is that terrible is that gonna look awful I think it's really hard to make right, but here's what I'm thinking, okay? okay? Is you have, 
like you know like variety hall sort of shows would have like the curtain comes down and the like uh the like uh compare comes out and stands in front of the curtain and does their routine in front of the curtain yeah so you get to the end of the dance routine and you sort of turn it in such a way that as they finish the dance routine like they look out and then curtain falls and it leaves Rishi Smith on the well you know Drake on the front of the curtain and Shelby behind yeah 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 okay so you should have cut them off I yeah. mean, that, that's even less doable in a, in a comedy club. Well, okay, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> but actually, no, it's probably just as not doable, to be fair. Just um, as not doable, perfect. No, that's fine <laughs> then, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, or you get like a kabuki drop with some confetti in or something, I don't know. <laughs> Is that what that's called? Kabuki? No, it's called like a swirl machine or something. Anyway, yeah, basically something something that's like... Something will happen. Something that's like, bam, and we're somehow left with only one of them there. I think it's it's doable. Or maybe, you know, if we're using this whole space, maybe they just dance out the door. Yeah, But yeah. then like restart stops and he keeps Look, going out the door you know i'm actually i'm coming back to this thing of actually you have it where you were talking about what well, you ha- you've had the house lights the whole time and then you've gone into this very theatrical lighting mm. you at the end of the song it fades back into the house lights they're both still there but then you just you just have this thing like in, in, in performance only really where just drake just stops seeing shelby again like he did when the daughter was there he just stops seeing him and he just sort of like looks around the space again looks at all the stuff the props he's been looking at and stuff and then just leaves and it's just like this moment where like you just you see a vi- i think in an intimate enough space you'd see this visual just disconnect suddenly happen i think you would see it I think pathos-wise, it, yeah, it might not, it might not yeah. play. Just because I think we'd get that, but I think we, I think as an audience member, I feel like I was supposed to now be like in Steve Pemberton's world. Yeah, that no, yeah, you're right. Which you're right. might be okay. That might be something we want to do. Maybe we're all dead. I don't know. Maybe that makes <laughs> sense. I don't <laughs> we're know. We're all in Steve Pemberton's world. I don't know, but I think I think us still being able to see him, like, there needs to be a dramaturgical reason for that. So Steve Pemberton either disappears or he doesn't. Yeah. We either see him or, or we don't. Doesn't. We either yeah. cry or we don't. We either laugh or we don't. And we either go to the play or we don't. Um, perhaps we'll, maybe you'll like that. Maybe you won't. Bye-bye. Uh, <laughs> shall we leave it there? Absolutely we should. I've rambled so much this episode. <laughs> we, that's, you know what? I'd love to do that. A little comedy club, two-hander, or maybe a little band for the yeah. third hand. Yeah, just a little cutesy, a little emotional cutesy. It's such a brilliant bit of television, yeah. Uh, but it's also it would work so well on stage. Absolutely, and I think that's what we can say about a lot of these episodes, and that's why we're sort of slowly, I reckon, you know, trying to get through quite a lot of them. Yeah, Caleb, where can people <laughs> find you online? Look, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxed um, at Caleb Lebster. That's C A L E B L E B S T E R. I really, I just felt a massive drop off in energy all of a sudden. I don't know if you felt that. I didn't. I, I to me, I just saw you forget your Twitter handle. <laughs> no, no, I know. I just felt like a. I just felt like all of the energy of the episode just suddenly came crashing down in that moment as I began to give my social media handles. It's because we normally have something like an interesting reason why we're giving social media handles, like someone's doing a show yeah. or something. Um, yeah. Today we're recording on uh, Vault's program day. So, like, a million shows have been announced today. Yeah, um, yeah. So and we're just here with we have, nothing here. to tell you. <laughs> nothing to tell you. Keep going. Maybe we'll, we'll be too so- soon. This is 
more podcast episodes yeah. <laughs> you know yeah yeah man. tell you what do you try this at home might be coming back soon if anyone's ever listened to that might be all right great <laughs> which should be but i don't yeah. know how soon you know oh i've just realized this is episode 50 as well no it's not yeah it is what because yeah. i was you know i was just thinking today uh about how it would be nice to do something special for episode 50 <laughs> We did. We did just the two of us. Yeah, just the two of us. Episode. Happy episode fifty, Jake. Yeah, is it? Are you checking? I'm checking right now. Are you checking? Okay, we'll. Just no, go. it's not. You idiot. Is it not? What no, episode it's, is it? It's episode like forty-two. No way. <laughs> yeah, man. Wait. It is. No. Yeah, it's it's episode forty-two. Yeah. Oh no, I know what it is. It's the fiftieth thing we've put on the stream. Yeah, no, but that's not even true. It's going to be the forty seventh thing we put on the stream. Is it really? Oh, All maybe right. it's the fiftieth, including the things that count as trailers. Actually, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm glad we did something special for episode forty two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, you can find me online um, at Jakey Mori on Instagram. That's J-A-K-E-Y-M-O-R-R-Y. Or on Twitter, I am at Jake underscore Mori with those same spellings. Um, and I don't know, maybe elsewhere. Who cares? Uh, you gotta, you got to sort out that personal branding, buddy. Oh, I do, I do. It's, I, someone, I said, oh, I, one of those is like only available on one of those. And I said, and I said to, to someone like, should I do like consistent or should I do one on the other? And I, this person didn't know i did a podcast so their response was oh well jake underscore maury sounds more professional so do that on twitter and then jakey maury's fan on instagram um but if i'd have mentioned i did a podcast i'm sure they would have said no one handle i I, to (laughs) us i think maybe you asked me and i said i don't i that's fine so (laughs) well yeah i'm gonna blame you anyway (laughs) yeah Uh, go for it well if you'd like to blame caleb by contacting him but not through his personal account yeah not personally instead (laughs) instead you want to contact him through maybe you like it uh then why but i guess you can and you can do that by contacting us on twitter at maybe you like it that's with the letter u and that's the same handle on instagram as well or you can visit our facebook page at maybe you like it productions that's with the word you or you can visit our website at www.maybe you like it.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybe you like it.co.uk or indeed caleb directly at caleb at maybe you like it.co.uk please don't <laughs> please please weird. don't please don't it would be so strange no no do do please do it'll be funny um <laughs> Uh, you can also get in touch with us by leaving a review. We'll get back to you sooner than email, I'm sure, if you leave a review. So do that and give us five stars on all your podcasting platforms. Um. <laughs> you just do it in app, apparently. This is what I hear. Exactly. Just, just right now. Look, I will wait. We'll wait. We'll wait here. We're waiting. Yeah. Okay. Are you done? done? <laughs> Come on. Oh, no. <laughs> this is awful. Uh, this is... Oh, uh, <laughs> gosh. Okay. Well... Maybe you liked that. Maybe you didn't. Thank you very much. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.